Beaches in Plettenberg Bay and the Western Cape have been closed after a shark attack claimed the life of a 39-year-old woman on Sunday. Kimon Bassanio from Cape Town was on holiday with her family and was swimming at Plettenberg Bay's central beach on Sunday morning when the attack happened. It's the second fatal shark attack in Plettenberg Bay in only three months. So just how common are these shark attacks and just how dangerous is swimming in the sea? I'm Catherine Rice, a multimedia journalist for News24, and you're listening to The Story. This week, we're talking to News24 journalist Marvin Charles, who has been covering this tragic story, and later we'll talk to shark expert Bruce Noble. Marvin, thank you so much for your time. What do we know about Kimon Bassanio, and what are the circumstances surrounding the attack? So what we know from Kimon was that she was a very well uh, known civic activist in the observatory area. She, um, you know, cared a lot for those who slept rough on the streets of Cape Town. And she was a well-known um, restauranteur as well. She owns a pizzeria, a co-owns, sorry, a pizzeria in observatory. What we know about the attack is that she traveled to to Plet uh, um, late afternoon on Saturday, and the attack happened on Sunday morning. Um, we know that that she was with a family at the time. And I believe she has a child as well. Yes, a little girl. And Marvin, have, has the family been receiving a lot of support from the community? Well, since news broke about her death, there's been an overwhelming amount of support for the family and also the staff who knew her um, at her restaurant. There's been messages put up uh, outside the, her restaurant's doors. There's been flowers put up. There's just been a lot of care for for this for this woman and and for what what happened to her and you've been out to observatory where she was clearly a, a very well-known community activist what, what what did the homeless people have to say about her how did she change their lives so she cared a lot for them um, she would every wednesday come along um, and and give food out to them she would also supply them with sleeping bags as well so they fostered quite a strong relationship with her as well and um, at the time you know she you know what the homeless would describe was that she literally changed the, uh, their lives, you know, especially in Cape Town where there's an overwhelming amount of homeless people. And I believe she also taught them yoga. And yes, she was a, lo- a yoga instructor as well. So she provided that for them for free. Yeah. So really uh, an activist spreading light wherever she went. Thank you so much for your time. That was Marvin Charles, News24 journalist. We're now joined by shark expert Bruce Noble. Bruce, thanks so much for your time. Can can you give us your thoughts about why this attack happened? I believe she was in shallow water at the time. Hi, Catherine. Thank you. Yes, she was in fairly shallow water. Um, It was low tide. But where the actual incident took place, there is a slight drop off. It's sort of a depression. And the water would have been probably around two meters deep. So it wasn't as shallow as being reported. And the shark would have approached her in that um, slight channel when, when, you know, when, when, when the attack occurred. There's a myriad of reasons um, why sharks can attack humans. It's, it's a very, very rare event. But a shark can be in a heightened state of a predatory mode, should we say. Um, and they can be confused. They are also very curious and not having hands and things, you know, to touch or feel or see what this is. Um, a swimmer splashing in the water, 
might be of interest to them and they would investigate. And these exploratory bites are, um, I think, in terms of great white events, are, are very, um, are probably the most common. You know, that's, that's the way the, the shark sees what's in the water. If he really wanted to eat, um, humans, um, we would be very easy, we're a lot easier to catch than, than, um, than fish and seals. Um, and when you look at the incidence of shark attacks, there's very few times where um, a person is actually consumed by the shark. When that happens um, in that rare, very rare event, it's uh, sometimes attributed to a, a pregnant female who hasn't eaten for a long time and battles to catch prey. Um, and you know that. But besides that, you know, it, it really is a rare event. If you look at the international shark attack file, their average is five deaths per year. And that is worldwide. And the Australian uh, Institute of Marine Science looks at about an average of 10 a year. So even 10, if you consider all the water users um, around the world, it is exceptionally rare to, to, to die from a shark attack, which makes it um, you know, extra tragic for, for our little town. But Bruce, it's the second fatal attack in three months in the same area. So why would it be occurring again so soon after the last one? When we look at the, the, the Southern Cape and the Eastern Cape, um, and if you look at um, shark attack statistics, you will see that it goes sort of against the grain where in the winter months we have the most incidents. Instead of the summer months, one would think with more water users, that would be the time where you would see most incidents occur. It's actually when the least people are in the, in the water. And this is attributed to a natural phenomenon where the, the white sharks in, in the winter months in, in our area and, and the Eastern Cape um, come closer to shore. So in Clettenberg Bay, for example, um, we have a handful of sharks, only a handful. You know, people believe we've got a um, lots of sharks that come here. We've only got a handful of sharks that have adapted to hunting seals in shallow water. And they arrive every year at the mid-April and they leave sort of um, 15th of October to the end of October. And it's these same sharks that are sort of patrolling up and down Robert and occasionally go up and down the beaches as well. So, you know, when, when we have interaction with them, things can happen. We are just extremely unfortunate that, uh, you know, we've had these incidents and both have been um, fatal. Um, it, it really is, in, you know, a case of being in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. But we do have to be aware that they are there, especially in the winter months. And you know, we, we have to, um, you know, exercise extreme caution because um, the chances of interacting, um, you know, with a white shark in the winter months is, is is fairly high, as opposed to summer, where we, you know, we battle to find a white shark for days um, in the entire area. Bruce, how long have you tracked sharks for and have you noticed a change in their habits in recent years? Um, I've been observing the, the white sharks in, in Plettenberg Bay since um, 2004. Um, and we, we only have a handful of sharks that return each year that have adapted to hunting seals in shallow water. In all the years, no, I haven't noticed a, a difference in, in behavior of the sharks. Um, they do the same things that they've been doing all, you know, through, throughout the, all the years. Um, but one thing that is interesting this year is that we've had two orca predations in Mossel Bay. Um, Mossel Bay has a shark population of approximately 20 to 30 sharks. So these sharks have left the area. Um, some of them we do know from tracking have gone east. 
Um, so they would have come past Lettenberg Bay. Um, and then they returned after 51 days, they returned to Mossel Bay. Um, so they would have come past there twice, but still none of, um, you know, made their home here as, as such. Um, and in our counts, our aerial counts, we, we, the most we've ever got is seven. And those are probably other individuals that are, are passing our coastline. But then there was another predatory, um, orca predation in Mossel Bay. So the sharks left the area again. We're talking, you know, these 20 to 30 sharks moving out of the area again. But um, we, I haven't picked up that we have more sharks in the area because of that. They haven't returned to Mossel Bay yet. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. We had a similar experience on the 2nd of August this year where there were orcas in the bay. And our sharks, um, they disappeared. They disappeared and only came back on the 15th of, of September. Um, and five individuals um, returned. So, yeah, what, what, the, the interaction with the, the orcas and, and the white sharks, I think, is going to determine our, our, our patterns and, uh, and areas that are going to be frequented by great whites in the future. Bruce, do, do we know what sort of shark it was? And, and is it likely to be the same one that attacked um, that swimmer a few months ago? Um, it, it was a great white shark. Um, we wouldn't know. We've got a few sharks of very similar size. Um, the only way one could determine if it is the same shark is, is probably by DNA sampling. Um, but, um, you know, there are a few sharks of, of, of a similar size. So we wouldn't know unless you did DNA sampling if it is the, the same shark. And Bruce, do you know, do you have any idea of how long the beaches will be closed for? Um, the beaches are already open. We have uh, additional lifeguards on duty. How are the authorities responding? How do they plan to keep people safe? Um, in in Musenberg, in Cape Town, they employ shark spotters who alert swimmers and surfers when a shark is sighted. Is is that perhaps the best way to tackle the problem? It's sort of a, an approach that has many different um, angles to it um, that have to be implemented at the same time. Um, before um, the the first fatal attack that we had already, um, there was various uh, mitigation methods um, being tested to to be implemented. Obviously, after the the, the fatal attack, we the first fatal attack, the, we formalised a, a group of shark action group in Plettenberg Bay, which included the mayor and the municipal manager. So everything can be coordinated. Um, so basically. In this particular uh, approach, we are using, um, you know, warning boards, uh, notifying all the BNBs, giving them information, hotels, etc., via the T- uh, Tourism Association. We have additional lifeguards that are going to be on duty. We have a, we do have a, a, a spotting program um, that is being implemented as well, and which also will include high-tech cameras and hopefully in the future um, combining that with a shark recognition system. Um, there are various methods that, that are being considered um, and, and researched and looking at implementing perhaps um, a shark barrier in, in uh, Central Beach. But obviously those, um, you know, that does go through, through a process of, of testing and, and research. Um, but I think with all of the methods, um, you know, combined, um, we'll have an extremely effective mechanism of mitigation risk with sharks and humans. Prior to this, we, you know, when we have all the lifeguards on duty, it, it always works exceptionally well. 
although we don't have many great white visits in the, in the summer months at all, when we have had uh, lifeguards have, have identified where the shark is, uh, close that particular beach. The shark in the in the summer months, they don't tend to hang around. So they'll move from east to west or west to east and continue going. So once that shark is a safe distance away, the next, you know, the, the, the other beaches would be closed, but you can open as it goes. So you'll have a spotter onto that shark. And, you know, that's, that's how we've ensured the, well, the, the council has ensured the safety in the past. Unfortunately, there were no lifeguards on duty at that time of the morning when, when this incident occurred. And we do, we don't have many beaches manned by lifeguards in the winter, but, um, you know, we're trying to, to rectify various options in that regard. Bruce, how has this affected the community of Plettenberg Bay? Do you think it's likely to affect their tourist season? Obviously, um, incidents like this, you know, where, where specifically a shark is involved, I mean, it, it really creates heart awareness. Um, and the, the, the community, yes, it, it was a, it's a very sad loss very sad losses that we've had. Um, so it does affect the community, definitely. I think in in terms of tourism, we've got to look at it from two angles. We have shark tourism. Because we have these individuals here in the winter, we have people coming from all over the world and filmmakers, etc., coming to film them from the cliffs of Robert. I mean, it's probably the only place in the world where you can watch um, a, a great white shark hunt seals in its natural environment with no not from a boat, just, you know, you walk on the cliffs and you see the symphony play out below you. It's absolutely incredible. So we have shark tourism, which we have to, you know, look after in the in the winter months. Um, in terms of summer, the summer months, we are fortunate that, you know, we don't have, uh, uh, you know, frequent visits at all from white sharks. So in terms of, you know, the tourism season coming up, we, we plan to have these mitigating uh, methods in place already just to ensure the safety of the visitors. And, yeah, it's, it's, I think from the Shark Action Committee, it's getting the confidence back, you know, in our waters and, and uh, looking after, uh, you know, our tourists. I think that is the, the, the prime objective at the moment. And certainly, yeah, making tourists aware that there, are, there is this presence in the winter months. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was shark expert Bruce Noble. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for The Story.